You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Thank you, guys. First of all, uh, anytime I have an opportunity to come hang with you guys, worship, get in the Word together, thank you so much for partnering with Anchor Church. You are an enormous part of what we are seeing God do at Anchor Church right now. We are seeing people get saved, be baptized, made disciples, leaders developed. And right now, um, I'm here to go ahead and tell you guys a little a little something I haven't even shared with my church yet because we haven't met yet. We meet at 5 p.m., uh, but we are officially ascending church for our first church plant. And we're almost in year two. And so uh, I know your heart is to plant more churches as well. I can't wait to, to scheme and strategize with your leadership about how we can help expand the kingdom into CSRA. But um, we're seeing God move mountains at Anchor, and you're a part of it. And we just really appreciate it. We could not do it alone. We'll never do it alone because that's the kingdom of God. Amen? We partner together. It's not just about Anchor Church or just Impact or whoever, but we can work together to reach more people for Christ. So, y'all ready to get in the Word? All right. Well, let's turn to Psalm 139. Whatever copy of Scripture you're rocking this morning, whether it's a paperback, whether it's you version, whatever, go ahead and get there. And we'll have the verses on the screen as well. But this morning, I could not help but think of just in my ADD brain, I could not help think of dominoes. How many of you guys have ever played dominoes? Anybody? How many of you have actually played dominoes, though? Like, like, like you played the real dominoes game. Okay, the hands went down. Yeah. Most of you are like me, so I just learned how to play dominoes last year. Like my grandma always had dominoes. She's like, you line them up and you count. And I'm like, no, let's just set them up around the, the, you know, the kitchen, the living room, and let's see how many of these dominoes we can just you know, and do all the, and now YouTube's got everybody beat because they have professional domino people that do this as a job. Like their job is to set up dominoes and make cool videos. I don't get it. Anyway, um, but dominoes, man, this one affects this one, affects this one. And we know you, this isn't news to anyone in the room, but we know that's how life works. We know that's how our thinking works and our choices. One thing affects another. The first domino is important, amen? Isn't it? That first domino that you have in place, if that, is, if that is in the wrong place, the rest is not going to follow. And here's what, here's what God's Word teaches us. Ready? Wrong ideas about God. Because you can find the right ideas about God in the Bible. Nowhere else. Like God has sufficiently, clearly, everything we need revealed Himself here. We don't need anything else but this. There's, there's no hidden secrets. There's no Easter eggs. Okay? There's one Savior, one God in this book, in this holy word He's given us. And here's the, idea, here's the thing. Wrong ideas about God will ultimately lead to a wrong life, on the wrong path, toward the wrong destination. And so we're going we're gonna to get back to the basics this morning, and we're going we're gonna to rediscover the glory of God together. How about that? We're just going to look at who He is. That's what we've been singing about. We've been singing about His character. But if we don't rightly understand who He is, We'll never understand what He wants for our life. We'll never really know what He wants us to do. And here's a truth this morning. If you're taking notes, I would invite you to. It helps, it helps me pay attention. Even if you get your phone, just pull out Notepad uh, and just jot down some notes on there because 
I know, I know I sure as heck don't remember everything a, a preacher's saying unless I jot some things down. So whatever strikes you, if something just lands, man, make sure you write that down and pray, pray through it this week. That's probably something God wants you to notice and to take to heart. But here's the deal. Bad theology hurts people. Bad theology hurts people. Theology matters. And whether you realize it or not, every one of you in the room are a theologian. You are. You are. What does that mean? It means you have beliefs about God, and they might be accurate, and they might not. And I challenge myself to the same thing. Just because I'm up here as the pastor preaching the sermon this morning doesn't mean that like I automatically get everything. Like I, I have to come to God's Word just like you and go, what does this book say? What did the Holy Spirit say through these prophets and, and through the apostles? And what is, what is God saying to us? I want to make sure that I, that I honor God's Word in the way that I read the Bible and that I interpret it correctly, and there are tools to help you do that. But I want to get us all on the same page. Bad theology hurts people, and it hurts churches, and it hurts the kingdom. And so we need to, we need to seek some good theology this morning. And so that's why I want to lead you, and I put a lot of effort this week into making sure I lead you guys accurately and rightly. But before I do that, I want to, I want to pray one more time. Because it's easy for us uh, preachers uh, to get up here and just start talking. And I try to really make sure I take time to worship before. I mean, not just there, but like before this ever happens. <laughs> in my heart, on the car ride, in the early hours of this morning. Let's just pray one more time. God, I just pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that you would overshadow all of my weaknesses, God. You would overshadow any anything in me that would hinder anything that you want to do. And God, I pray that you'd silence the enemy because we know just because we are in North Harlem Elementary School in this um, cafetorium, we know that we we know that the enemy wants to distract during this message. He wants to get us thinking about all kinds of other stuff. In fact, he wants to discourage us. And I just pray over the people in front of me, Lord. I care about their hearts. I want to deliver your word accurately and rightly. And I want to preach the gospel well. So God, bind the enemy, his works and effects, amplify your word, make it clear, and help us apply it to our life in Jesus' name. All God's people said? All right, well, let's, well, let's talk about four truths about God that lead to uh, really four corresponding truths about us. So here's, here's the first truth about God. Take your notes, write this down. Number one, I'm just going to hit right into it. God knows us intimately. He knows us. He knows you. And he, let me just ask you a question. How many of you would say that there's someone in your life that you know better than anybody else? Like you would say, I, I know them the best. Anybody? How many of you would say there's somebody that knows you the, the best of anyone? Okay, yeah. So, so you know someone else on an intimate level, but you also, you desire to be known. And actually God made us for relationship, for community. We talk about that a lot at church. I know y'all talk about that here a lot. You're, you're not made to do life alone. You're, you're made to be in community. That's why we need to be in community groups, different Bible studies that go on, different fellowships. We need to go to because we're made to be in relationship. We need to gather on Sunday morning so we can encourage brothers and sisters journeying after Jesus together. But even more than that, you know, it gives us peace to be known, right? To, to be known by somebody, to know that someone knows you well enough. It creates a peace inside of you. We long for it. We're wired for it. Someone you can really, you have that person you can just kind of let your hair down with, even those of you that are bald in the room. It's still, you know, like, 
you know, like, that you can just be, like, you don't have to try to, like, there's no pretense, there's no, like, I'm on, if you guys know what I'm saying. I have to, it's not like we're talking about being fake, but you guys know that you act different around different people. It's just part of being human. Like, you're in, you're in this setting, and you might choose to hold some things back. You might not be vulnerable in every setting, right? But that person you can just be completely vulnerable with. You can say the stupid things and know they're not going to leave you and know they're not going to forsake you. God knows you better than anyone else. We think we're the experts on our own hearts. Oh no, the heart is, the heart is sick and deceitful, Jeremiah 17.9 says. Who can understand it but the Lord? We are known completely. And so in verse 1 of Psalm 139, that's where David starts. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a shepherd. He was a prophet. He was also a king. He sought after God, and here's what he says in Psalm 139. Lord, which if you're reading in your Bible and you got your pen handy, just go ahead and underline Lord right there, because that's God's covenant name. That's Yahweh. That's not just our Lord, L-O-R-D, but capital L-O-R-D. That is God's covenant name. That means God has a relationship with those who worship him. He's not just some far-off deity, some some, some divine watchmaker who set this world into motion and who is detached and just kind of says, go, and just watches the whole thing. No, he's intimately involved in your life. Lord, you have searched me and you have, there's the word, you have known me. You have searched me and know me. You know when I, when I sit down and when I point at you guys, that's, that's, that's your chance, man. All right, ready? You know when I, and when I, you understand my thoughts from far away. He's in your head. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> Uh-oh. But isn't it amazing? Like, God still loves, like, even that thing you thought, that you know you shouldn't have been thinking about, God still loves you anyway. He's not going to ditch you. He's not going to dump you. God loves you. He intimately knows you. He has, he has searched you and known you. The verb search there in the Hebrew, it means to examine with pain and care. Some of y'all search for your socks this morning or for your phone. You know, like something that you had to have, you had to put this thing on or, or, or you search for that check that you misplaced. You painfully search for it. You tore apart your whole car. I go through this on a regular basis. I'm the guy that has gotten a lot better about losing things, but historically I have had an issue with losing things because I'm not at my core the most organized. But that's this word search here. In verse 1, that's how, that's how much God knows you. He has examined every crevice of your soul. There's nothing you can hide from God. And that can either be scary or comforting, right? Let it be comforting this morning. Lean into that. You can't hide from Him anyway, so you might as well embrace it. What else does the Word say in verse 3? Let's pick it up there. You observe my travels, and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. That includes our motives. That's not just what we do. That's why we do it. And God cares deeply about our motives. The Bible says He weighs our motives out like a judge. What else? Well, verse 4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. And here's verse 5. Ready? It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You have, and what's that word? encircled me. Maybe some of your old school translations say you have 
hem me in from behind and, and, and all around. You know, God, is, God has hemmed you in from all directions. This means He surrounds you. He's all about you. You cannot escape His presence. Pagans often thought that their gods were, were hostile or even indifferent. I was brought up in a, in a strain of a religion that, that, that taught Christian things, but God was thought of as this God, like, like the God that I was presented with was, yes, this is the God of Christianity, but He's too busy for you, so you've got to go pray to these other people who will intercede for you. Because you can't just go directly to God. You've, you've got to pray to so-and-so. Or you've got to go to this statue and kneel down and light this candle and say this thing. You can't just go straight to Jesus. You can't boldly approach the throne of grace. He didn't have time for you. Friends, that's heresy. Hebrews 4 says you can boldly approach the throne of grace and go straight to God. And like we sang earlier, 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all of your anxieties and your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He wants to get in the minutia of your life. He already knows about it anyway. He knows this world. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what that person said and did to you. And He wants to be the good and perfect shepherd who will lead you through it. Who nobody can snatch you from the shepherd's hands. The pagans had the wrong idea. They, they thought gods were just far off and indifferent. But David knew the true God cared enough to have searched and known man and woman. So God surrounds us. He encircles us. His knowledge, His guidance are for our protection. Even though we were created to be known, we're prone to hide, aren't we? Kids do this. Parents, come on now. You've seen it. You've seen it. I have three boys, 10, 7, and 5. First thing, first thing that happens when, when something goes wrong, when, when they've done something they know that I have told them not to do that and they do it, or I've asked them to do it and they have failed to do it, they go and hide. And it's like a not planned out game of hide and seek where they go hide. I mean, I've, I found my kids hidden underneath the, the bed with an iPad or you know, hidden over here. And it's just our natural inclination, friends. We, we've all done it in the Bible we only get a few chapters in before who's hiding out? Adam and Eve. Cain's trying to make excuses for why he did such and such. We've got uh, Jacob in Genesis who was a deceiver. He, he was a trickster. Take your pick, man. Jonah tries to run from God. He tries to hide. It's like, um, I can remember this one time when my little guy uh, you know, he's, he's all wrapped up in the curtain like a burrito. You know, he's, he, you know, he's like this, and we're playing hide-and-seek. And he's just sitting, and he's so convinced that I can't see him. He's, so, like, he's like, man, that's the best hiding spot in the world. But, but he doesn't know that Daddy knows all the hiding spots. I know all the good hiding spots. And God knows exactly where you are right now. And I don't know if you would say, I'm, yeah, yeah if I'm honest in church this morning, I, you know, I'm kind of hiding out right now. I'm kind of hoping God doesn't find me. Let me just encourage you. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. And guess what? He already knows the results of tomorrow. God is from eternity to eternity. And your only way of hope, and your only way of ever experiencing any amount of joy and satisfaction and purpose in this life is through running to Him. So let me encourage you to quit hiding from God. And the number one way to come back to the Lord, to quit hiding from Him, is to pick up your Bible. And hear his voice. Hear the voice of the shepherd calling to you. All right, let's move on to number two. 
Our second truth this morning. Not only does God know us intimately, but write this down, He is with us constantly. So we just talked about God's knowledge. This is the doctrine of His omnipresence. That means He's all-knowing. But now we're going to talk about His omnipresence, His, His, I'm sorry, His omniscience is that He is all-knowing. But now we're going to talk about His omnipresence. That is His ever-present characteristic of being everywhere, not being everything. That's pantheism, where God is you know, the tree and the, and the leaves and, and the everything. This is God, like we, we cannot escape his presence. And that's what verse 7 says. Let's just get right into verse 7. Where, where can I escape your spirit? These are all rhetorical questions, by the way. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, what happens? He's there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Let's move on to verse 9. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will... I mean, David's just painting all these pictures of no matter how far you go to this edge or that edge, the highest heights, the lowest lows. And guys, this is so true in life. No matter what you experience, God is with you through it. Now, we struggle with that, don't we? Because we go, if God is there with me, why would he allow me? To, to be in that valley. You're saying God's with me in the valley. Man, that's, man, that's cruel. That God would be, be with me while I have this disease or while I'm battling this, this really painful trial in my life or this loss or the various trials we go through. How could God be with me in that and watch me suffer? And just like Pastor Andrew was talking about in the devotion and up here as, as he was leading us in worship, Jesus reminds us, he says, hey, you can expect those valleys, you can expect those trials, but take heart, because I've already overcome them. That's the only hope we have in those, friends. That's the only way we can count it as joy, is if we just focus, if we do as Hebrews 12 says, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to run this race of life with endurance. And the only way to have endurance is through His blood. Is with His presence, knowing He surrounds you. Let's keep on going. In verse uh, yeah, 10, Even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. Let's move on to 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, and even the darkness is not dark to you. The light shines, the night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. This is really good poetry, friends. If you're if you love poetry, then you're really you're really vibing with this right now, okay? If you don't like poetry that much, then you're really struggling in the psalm. You're like, this is so many metaphors, all right? But let's simplify it again. God is ever present with you. Some context, you know, David was a shepherd, like we said, and uh, God is revealed as a shepherd to us consistently throughout Scripture. Jesus is revealed as the good shepherd. A good shepherd doesn't leave a sheep. Again, like I said in John 10, no one, no one can snatch us from his hand. So you don't have to worry about, again, God ditching you or dumping you. Joshua 1.5, as, as Joshua was taking the reins from Moses, he was freaking out. I mean, he's got to follow Moses. You know, what, a, I mean, what a leader to follow. The rock star Moses. And Joshua comes in and you know he's overwhelmed. I mean, he's human. And God says, don't be afraid. 
he actually tells him three times in that prologue of Joshua, he tells him to be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you the same way I was with Moses. I will be with you. What does he say to scaredy cat Gideon down on the threshing floor? He says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. My presence is your boldness. My presence is your peace. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission? The last thing Jesus said before He went up to heaven and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And the last thing, you remember? Remember, I am with you always. Parents, what do you tell your kids when you send them off to school? When you finally have those let go moments when your kids are older and you have to watch them drive away in that car and you have to you have to send them to places where you may not be able to physically be present you know the lord is omnipresent so he's able to do that but we can't but what do you what do you tend to tell them hey just remember i'm with you i'm with you i'm there if you need anything let me know and that's the lord is even more even more so whether you're at the highest heights or the lowest lows right now, just remember God is with you. It doesn't change His presence. He's the constant. He's the constant. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look, at verse, look back at verse 10. David, David says in these two words right here, even there. That means in the most extreme circumstances. The right hand will lead me. That's God's saving hand, the right hand. In, in the Old Testament, the right hand is the, is the strong hand, the strong arm of salvation. This is Jesus. This is, this is our Savior. His hand of skill and strength would hold David no matter what would come, and the same is true with you. So what do we pray today? God, hold on to me. Because we don't always trust that, do we? We don't always trust that. It's just like when we get on that roller coaster for the 16,000th time. And that bar goes down. And there's still this thought, even though you've ridden the roller coaster over and over and over and over again, what if, what if it doesn't? What if, what, if, what if it breaks this time? Because machines break, right? Man fails. Plans, our, our plans don't work out. People hurt us. But God will never let you down. He will never fail you. Jesus will never fail. Even the night. Just like the Israelites were led, remember, in the book of Exodus, Numbers? How were, how were they led in the night? Pillar of fire. Step by step, they looked upon the glory of the Lord and His holy fire led them. Not only those things, but number three, God made us wonderfully. I celebrated a birthday this week, and I, God saw it fit that I would sermon prep uh, on my birthday about a passage about how he made me wonderfully. And God lined that up so, so I, I not only appreciate the opportunity to be here, but man, I need this section just as much as anybody in this room because I needed to be reminded of these glorious truths. Let's just read this amazing section of Scripture that is going to sound familiar to you. Let's pick it up in verse 13 together. For it was you, that's God, for it, for, for it was you, Lord, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I will praise you because, here's that familiar part, it's probably on a coffee cup or a t-shirt or a picture frame in your house. 
I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. Man, so much to say. God is our creator. Amen? We have to understand this. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, as some of your translations might say. Remarkably made. How so? Well, not only is the human body a, a masterpiece of machinery, each part working with the other. Yeah, there's malfunctions, but, but look at the design. I mean, I mean you, you can't get away from it in biology, period. But let alone our human bodies, everything is so intricately designed. But David's talking not only about that, but about so much more. Um, you know, the Hebrew word for knit here in verse 13 literally means embroidered. So, you know, when I think about knit, I think about what my grandma would do in the corner in her chair. You know, every time I come over to visit, she, she's over there knitting, you know, just kind of doing, doing her thing. But embroidered, this, this is a stronger Hebrew word that means you are, and don't miss this this morning, you are, kids, kids, make sure you get this, you are handcrafted. Handcrafted. I had a guitar for many years that was factory made. Factory made. I mean, dude, it's a pretty nice guitar. It sounded good. It did the job. But then when I was in college, I started uh, touring around more. I started playing more places. I needed a nicer guitar. I went to the store. I tried all these different guitars made in the factory. But then they had this one in the back, and it was made by hand. Handcrafted by Luthier. And I played that guitar, and it made all the difference in the world. I never turned back. It is an amazing difference when you see something. I mean, you guys have seen this before, no matter what product, whether it's a musical instrument or something else, but handcrafted. It's just there's attention to detail. There's love. There's, there's blood, sweat, and tears, as we might say, put into it. Those of you that are handy in the room, I envy you. I'm not handy at all, but you make tables and and things, you know, those big farm tables that y'all make. I mean, I, w I wish I could do that, but I can't. But it's so much better than some, you know, thing that you just find in a, in a store that was made in a factory or something from Ikea that's going to break in eight months. But you made it with, with high-quality parts in a handcrafted way. This is how God has made us. We have been made in His image. Have you heard that before? The Imago Dei. We've been made in the image of God. So why are we so wonderfully made? Is it because you're so wonderful and I'm so wonderful? We're so great? No, we're made in the image of the Great One. We're made to be mirrors that reflect His glory. That's, if you're wondering, your purpose, if you're struggling with your purpose in life, let me just make it really simple. You were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That means that when he shines his light, because he does, because he's, I mean, light, light and truth and holiness just, just continually radiate from his presence. We know this about the Father, Son, and Spirit. That his holy light keeps shining. And then we are little mirrors that reflect that same glory back. We're fearfully and wonderfully made because we're made in his image and we reflect the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the only, the only appropriate response to this is where David goes. Let's keep reading in verse 15. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. That's a metaphor for, for, 
for the womb. That was kind of how the Hebrews uh, uh, poetically expressed that. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. Man, God even knew you then. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Again, that's the peace that we have in the tough times. Our days are already numbered and planned. God already knows. That gives us peace. If that wasn't true, I, I, I wouldn't have the peace that I have. When those really sucky days come. Right? Can you just be honest? And we don't know what to do. We don't know... We get lost in those moments and we turn back to God and we say, but you know, Lord, you know. And what does David say? Verse 17. Don't miss this this morning. God, how precious are your thoughts to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, and now reversal of it, I'm still with you. We talked about how he's always with us, but David's reflecting on his desire to be with God and the fact that God, get this, God is thinking about you 24-7. Thinking about you. The creator of everything in the universe not only knows about you, but he's thinking of you. Now we know this in relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, whatever. When someone is thinking about you, how does it make you feel? Good, right? Not a tough question. Good. Loved. Woman gives you those butterfly things in your belly, you know what I mean? Kids, to know that your parents are thinking about you while you're in school. Like, did you know that? Like, like as soon as you're in school going, oh, sorry, it's just school to be done. Your parents are thinking about you. They're praying for you. They're hoping that you're doing well. Moms are probably worrying about you on some kind of level because they love you, because they care about you. To know that God thinks of us in that way. Man, I, I got a note from my wife um, recently. And uh, I, don't, I don't have time to share the longer version of the story, but I can just tell you that receiving that note on my nightstand, it, it wasn't a long note. It was about four lines. But her main message was, I'm thinking about you. And I love you. And what that did for me in that moment, because it, it was a pretty tough couple days. And she didn't fix my problem. She didn't swoop in and fix everything. She couldn't. You know what she did? She said, I'm thinking about you. That's all I needed. Man, she thinks about me. That's all. I think about her too. And I wrote her a note back to let her know that I'm thinking, you know. So like, that's just, how it works in a marriage is how it works in a relationship with God. Hey, spend some time with them this week. Say, God, you know what? I'm thinking about you too. Spend some time with them daily. Reflect on his thoughts. Again, it's no, it's no secret where his thoughts are. His thoughts are here. Read them. Personalize them because they are about you and me. And they help us understand him. When I wake up, I'm still with you. So the Bible's just not a rule book, but it's a book about God's thoughts. Now let's move on to our final section. Our final section this morning is that God judges righteously. And we have to land here, friends, because this is, and I, I, love, I love David's writing, because David just, I mean, David just lays it out there. I mean, Psalm 42, he's like, guys, I'm depressed. There's no, there's no uh, uh, beat, beating around the bush. 
I'm, I'm depressed. God, have you forgotten about me? I mean, he, I mean, he gets real gut-level honest. And the Bible is not some manicured book where you know, it's always, like, you know, that's, that's actually what you can see if you study uh, literature about the cults and different things like that, and you see all these, like, you know, Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, the New World, you know, you see all these different cultish kind of literature. It's very manicured. It's very, it's very uh, polished and different things like that. And we get to God's true word, and we just see David say this. God, if you would only kill the wicked, I'm in verse 19, Yes, that's in the Bible. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Now, what do we do with this? That's a whole different sermon. But let me just give you a really simple way to think through when, when David does, you know, we call these imprecatory psalms. That's a fancy way of saying David is praying that God would judge righteously. And here's, here's just the brass tacks of it. Ready? We should love what God loves, and we should hate what God hates. The Bible is very clear about that. And whenever we get to a, a, a tougher passage of Scripture, here's just a good Bible tool for you. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let really clear Scripture make more clear the, the, the murkier waters that we kind of struggle with. We, we, we have to use the really clear things. And so Scripture is really clear. We should love the things that God loves, hate the things that God hates. This is called a zeal for the Lord. When you have a zeal for the Lord, guys, there are attributes about our character and God's character that we kind of share. We call these communicable attributes in theology. There's some attributes we don't share, like being all-knowing or omnipresent or whatever, but there are attributes that we share. And here are, and here's just one easy example. Are we supposed to be jealous? Are we, are we supposed to be jealous? It's not, it's not a hard question, right? No, no. God's like, like, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't covet. It's in the Ten Commandments. Don't covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's wife. Don't be jealous. Be thankful instead. Is God jealous? What does the Bible say? Yeah. But did God sin in his jealousy? No. He has a holy jealousy. So there are holy expressions of sometimes attributes we automatically think of being sinful. And so there's a holy jealousy that says, no, that thing's getting in the way of our relationship, and I don't want that in there because I love you, and that thing's trying to mess things up. This is like a jealousy in a relationship, right? If there was a marriage, and it was a sacred marriage, and there was something that was hindering that marriage from growth, maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a person trying to insert themselves and ruin a marriage, you know, like a home, uh, you know, a home breaker or something like that, um, but, but we, or, or a house wrecker or whatever you call it. But then we have this side where, where, where there's a threat and there's a holy jealousy there. We see a similar expression here. David simply says, Lord, there are people that hate you. They hate your ways. And I can't stand this. They drive me nuts. David's desire and expression here is not personal with these guys. It's not, it's not about him. It's about the glory of God. And what David is doing here, don't miss it. He is simply saying this. God, judge them rightly. Judge them. Bring them to judge. Because God's word says, 
Vengeance is mine, I shall repay, says the Lord. And so, sometimes these uncomfortable passages stop us in our tracks, but we can't miss that David's adoration filled him with a zeal for God's honor. Now, how does that apply to your life this week? Should you just go around and start telling people that you hate them? No, that's not the application. Here's, here's the encouragement. May, may, may your zeal for the Lord, your devotion to Him, cause you to draw a line in the sand. And here's what Romans 12.2 puts it. It says, Don't, we, sh- we should not be conformed to the image of this world, but instead be conformed to the image of the Son. How? Daily renewal of the mind. Be renewed daily. Conform yourself to God's Word and Jesus as Son and not to the ways of this world. And so, you're not a God that delights in wickedness, David says uh, in Psalm 5. But we're going to move on to verse 23 and 24, his last two verses. And we're we're going to close with these two verses. It's really going to drive our invitation today. And I'm sure you've heard these before if you've been hanging around church a little bit. And this is just a prayer that you can pray today. I pray this prayer often, and I would highly encourage it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. What do, what do we just say? What is the everlasting way? It's the ways of his word. So we, so we, so we check ourselves against the standard of scripture. We check ourselves against what God says, not, not, not just how we feel. But God, am I off base here? Is there something like messed up? I ask this all the time, and I would highly encourage any, anyone in this room to be so skeptical of your emotions, to be so skeptical of your own feelings about things sometimes. Give it time, give it space, take it to the Lord, get in the Word, and ask God to do this right here. This could save your very life, your marriage, your relationships. This would really bless you. God, test me. You know what this is like? Everybody in here is going to get in a car after this. And you're going to look at your dashboard. When you first crank up your car, hopefully, at some point, you look at your dashboard. You're going to see how much gas you've got in the tank. You're going to see how hot things are, how cold things are. And things are going to beep at you sometimes. There's going to be some alerts. You need to get your oil changed soon. Man, this is what God does to us. He tests us. He knows our heart, friends. He took... David took his theological understanding of God's nature and his attributes and he applied it to his personal discipleship. So if you're a Christ follower in the room, here's what I'm challenging you to do today. What, 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 what we have spent the past half hour reflecting about God, take it and apply it to your personal discipleship. Remember two things. God knows you and he's with you. He knows you and he's with you. If you've forgotten that, Dude, I forget it sometimes too. I get it. In the, in the throes of life, simple things like that can get lost. Come back to it. Come back to it today. Come back to Him today. And say, God, I'm ready to embrace those truths. But maybe you're in the room today, maybe you're like, Brandon, this, this relationship you're talking about with God, I don't think I have that. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Uh, when I was sitting in church about 15 years ago, and I realized I had a relationship with the church, but not with Jesus. You got a relationship with spiritual things, and you sign up for 
the men's breakfast or you, you know you take you go to the next steps table and you sign up for this event but we're talking about this like intimacy with the lord and maybe you'd be honest enough and i'd appreciate that honesty i, I value your honesty of just saying i don't think i have a relationship with god i don't i don't think i have that peace with him you're talking about you can have that peace this morning I invite you to embrace that peace. And just like we sang earlier, it's not anything you have to do, so don't worry. You don't have to do anything. What you do, what you believe in your heart is that Jesus died for you. He paid for your sins upon the cross and he rose again. So what do we, so we say we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus. It's not a work. It's a grace gift from him. It's not anything you or I earn. Ephesians 2.8. That's for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then it goes on to say in verse 10 that you're God's masterpiece. He made you for a purpose. So give your life to Christ this morning. Repent of your sins and believe upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. How do you do that? Just pray to him right now. Bow your head, pray to him. You don't need any magic words from me. Just pray an honest prayer. God, I'm tired of going the directions of my desires and my sins and my wants. I'm turning from that. I'm turning towards your holy ways. And Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose again. Just, just confess Jesus this morning as your Lord and Savior. And he'll save you right now. So I invite you to do that. Can we pray together? Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.